Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to Galatians chapter 1 as we're beginning a new series today we're calling Be Free that comes from Paul's letter to the Galatian churches. Uh, and while you're finding your place in your Bible, I want to read the, the first 10 verses of Galatians before we begin today. Uh, but while we're doing that, I just want to say a word of thank you to those of you who've been praying for my family. Uh, many of you have been praying for my little granddaughter, Una, uh, who is turning two this week, and she is uh, adopted from India. And uh, last this Friday had uh, surgery to fix a cleft lip and palate. And many of you have been praying for her, and I uh, just want to report that she came through it with flying colors, is doing great, is back home. So thank you for your prayers for that. And I just want to add a little bit to what Brian said earlier about Ukraine. Um, our missions committee chairman, Jim Minutella, has been in touch with uh, Niku, our friend in uh, Romania. Uh, Niku and his church have been responding to the Ukraine crisis by going up to the border uh, where Ukrainians are coming across and they're trying to arrange transportation for these folks to move them all around the country to safe havens and, and they're getting ready to put them up in hotels and homes and uh, they're going to be feeding them and everything else. The primary need right now is transportation. Transportation is so short that we've gotten word that uh, people are literally laying on the floor of, of the aisles of buses in order to get a place uh, to, uh, to flee the, the border area. Uh, and so we're right in the thick of this because uh, the, the Bethel Church there in Romania is a strong ministry partner of ours. We've already sent some money to help them with this. We're gonna be sending more uh, through the missions uh, fund. But uh, very soon we hope to have an opportunity for you to be able to give directly because the financial need is huge. Uh, and uh, they're going through money very fast trying to, to help these people. And we're hearing reports from the border uh, that, uh, that are describing what's going on there and saying it, it's just amazing to see uh, the church in particular uh, respond to this need and Christians showing up uh, to help uh, these people in crisis. And so we stand uh, together with our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine and with our brothers and sisters in Christ in Romania and the other surrounding border countries as they respond to this crisis. And it is amazing to think that, that in Ukraine today, uh, there were Christians still gathering for worship, uh, bravely gathering in the name of the Lord Jesus in spite of their hardships. So let's, let's keep that whole situation in prayer, uh, that it will, it will be over soon. Anyhow, we're in Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, the first 10 verses. Paul an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead <clears throat> and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and the God, our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a, con a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to imagine that you're in a small plane flying over a vast stretch of Canadian wilderness and you're just taking in these stunning views all around you. And you know, you're not paying attention to the fact that you're probably 100 miles from the nearest town, maybe 20 miles from the nearest road. You just keep flying deeper and deeper into the Canadian wilderness, not, not thinking about any of that until your engine begins to sputter. And then it goes out altogether. And all efforts to restart the engine fail, and not only that, but you find out that your, your radio is also out. You have no choice but to land in the water beneath. And so you make a rough water landing, which you survive. But then, hypothetically speaking, you're faced with uh, a dilemma. Let's say that as the plane is going down and you're trying to get out, you have time to grab one item from the plane. What are you going to grab? What's the one thing you're, you're going to want to take? And someone says, well, you know, let's take the first aid kit in case the pilot or any of the passengers were injured. Somebody else says, no, I'd take that bag of trail mix so that we'd have something to stave off our hunger out there in the wilderness. Somebody else says, I'd grab a tent because then at least we'd have shelter. Or some clever person might say, well, I'd grab a mirror so that I can signal would-be rescuers. And while all of those are good answers and, uh, and necessary for survival in a wilderness situation like this, according to the Wilderness Awareness School, they are not the most important thing. In fact, they would tell you that the one thing you most need is something with which to start a fire. According to their website of the five basic survival skills, basic survival skill number one is fire. Fire is the king of survival techniques, they say. Fire can purify water, cook food, signal rescuers, provide warmth, light, and comfort. It can keep away predators and can be a most welcome companion and friend. Now, I suppose a hardcore wilderness adventurer might go so far as to say, fire is all I need. As long as I have fire, I can figure everything else out. I can purify my water. I can cook my food. I can keep warm and safe. I can signal my rescuers. Fire is all I need. Now think of your life as a wilderness survival experience. You're sailing along in life, enjoying the views, minding your own business, and then something happens. You know, there's a health crisis, or you suddenly find yourself all alone, or your child is in desperate need. Your addiction starts spinning out of control, taking you with it. You found yourself in a situation you never imagined yourself to be in. You're fearful and discouraged, empty, losing hope. Suppose before you finally go down, you, grasp, you can grasp for one thing 
to ensure your survival, what would that one thing be? I'm telling you, I would cling to Jesus. Jesus is all I need. All I could ever need to survive and thrive in this life, I have in him. If I have Jesus, I can probably figure out most everything else. Jesus is all I need. Now, that's one of the most prominent themes in Paul's letter to the Galatian churches. Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to this group of churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day central Turkey, churches that he founded on his first missionary journey between 46 and 48 A.D. All of this is documented in the book of Acts, chapters 13 and 14. And uh, on that trip, Paul started these four churches that would have included Pisidian Antioch and Lystra and Derbe and Iconium. And having finished that missionary journey, it may be only a matter of months later that Paul is writing a letter back to these churches, and it's a very bossy, stern letter. It's a letter that is kind of mean-sounding, but very, very necessary. Paul basically is saying that he's heard that some false teachers have come in among them, And they're accusing Paul of not being a real apostle and of not telling the whole truth when it came to giving them the gospel. These teachers have persuaded the Galatians that it's good that they've trusted Jesus, but now they need to keep the Jewish law if they really want to be complete and really want to be pleasing to God, really want to be righteous. Trusting Jesus is a good start, but if you want to be perfected in your faith, now you need to start acting like a Jew. You need to get circumcised, you need to keep kosher, you need to observe all the Jewish festivals and the, and the Jewish Sabbaths. These false teachers are saying, yeah, yeah, trust Jesus, but now that you've trusted Jesus, now you need these laws, these rituals, these Jewish festivals. And Paul writes this letter with an angry tone, as if to say, I can't believe you're falling for all of this. I can't believe how quickly you've deserted Jesus and have let someone sell you a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And so right from the start of this letter, Paul gets to the point, and he balls them out and keeps pointing them back to the simplicity of the gospel. He wants them to reject any Jesus plus version of the gospel, whether it's Jesus plus Moses or Jesus plus anything else. He asserts in no uncertain terms, Jesus is all I need. Jesus is all you need. And in the first 10 verses of this important letter, Paul shows us that Jesus is all we need in several important respects. Number one, Jesus is all I need to validate me. Jesus is all I need to validate me. In the first two verses of the book, Paul appears to be defending his apostleship. Uh, He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. It's pretty clear from the way Paul begins here that these false teachers are trying to undermine Paul's authority by questioning whether he's really an apostle at all. It's likely that these false teachers have come from Jerusalem or from at least Judea and you know that's the place where the the 12 apostles hung out and and they're basically saying to the Galatians you know we're from Jerusalem we're from Judea you know you know where the 12 come from we know them personally or at least we've rubbed shoulders with them well we saw them on the street but you know that's where the 12 apostles come from and and Paul isn't from there and 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 so you know he's not really a real apostle like the other guys And he calls himself an apostle, but 
you know what he told you about Jesus? Well, that was good as far as it went, but that Paul, he tends to leave things out. He's a people pleaser, you know. He likes to leave out the hard parts. Oh, yeah, he tells you about Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead and how you can be saved. But then he leaves out the part about the Jewish law that you need to know about. How now that you become a a follower of Jesus, you need to get circumcised and eat kosher and and keep the Sabbath and and other festivals. And yeah, that's hard stuff. but, But Paul doesn't tell you that part because he's a people pleaser. These false teachers are attempting to sell their version of the gospel at Paul's expense. But Paul responds by reasserting himself and saying, look, I don't need their validation. I don't need them, you know, saying whether I'm a true apostle or not. These false teachers who come from Judea, apostleship is not something men bestow. These men who discredit me have no authority to say whether I'm an apostle or not. I don't don't need their validation because I know who I am in Christ. Paul, an apostle, Not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Jesus is the one who gets to decide who are his apostles. Remember Jesus, who himself was validated by God the Father when he raised him from the dead? And and Jesus validated me as an apostle when he met me, Paul, in a blinding light on the road to Damascus one day and called me to follow him. And through Ananias, I learned that, that I, Paul, was chosen, God's chosen instrument to carry the gospel to the Gentile world. Paul isn't going to waste his time worrying about what these false teachers think about him. And he certainly isn't going to play their games in hopes of getting his approval, getting their stamp of approval on him. He doesn't need them to validate him. Jesus is all I need to validate me, Paul is saying. And as for the accusation that I'm a people pleaser, watering down the gospel so that you Galatians will like me, Paul goes on for eight more verses, bawling them out for this stuff. And then he says, does this sound like a people pleaser to you? Look at verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Somebody who looks for validation from others wouldn't be talking this way the way I'm talking to you. I can write what makes you happy or I can write what makes God happy. Well, I've chosen to write what pleases the Lord, even if it's upsetting to you because he's the one I serve, not you. He's the one I have to to please. I live to please because Jesus is all I need to validate me. You know, so many of us go through life seeking our validation in the opinions of other people. You know, we play the game of people-pleasing in an attempt to win them over so they will think well of us, give give us their approval. We form identities based on what others say and think about us, how they treat us. You know, if Paul had done that, he would have concluded that he was a no-good, people-pleasing, false apostle who had no business preaching the gospel. And then where would we be? Well, dozens of churches would never have been planted. Thousands of people would have gone to a Christless eternity, and half the New Testament would never have been written. Look, if you're seeking your validation from other people, you need to ask, what lies have you been believing about yourself? And what have those lies kept you from accomplishing for the sake of Christ and his kingdom? You know, there was a time when if I had depended on other people for my validation, I would have concluded that I was nothing but a chubby, zit-faced nerd who couldn't speak very well. But then 
Christ got hold of me in high school and he showed me otherwise. And he called me to ministry and he put his words in my mouth. And I'm here to tell you all these years, years later with Paul, Jesus is all I need to validate me. Whatever anyone else may think or say about who I am, his opinion is the only one that ultimately counts. Whatever anyone else may say or think about you, I want you to realize that ultimately his opinion is the only one that counts about you. And if you're in Christ, what he says about you is that you're his much-loved son or you're his much-loved daughter. And he's at work in your life for your good and his glory. I love what author Jesse Rice says in a blog article he wrote uh, to his fear of what others think. It goes like this. Dear fear of what others think, I'm sick of you and it's time we broke up. I know we've broken up and gotten back together many times, but seriously, fear of what others think, this is it. We're breaking up. I'm tired of overthinking my status updates on Facebook, trying to sound more clever, funny, and important. I'm sick of feeling anxious about what I can say or do in public, especially around people I don't know that well, all in the hopes that they'll like me, accept me, praise me. I run around all day feeling like a golden retriever with a full bladder. Like me, like me, like me. Because of you, I go through my day with a cloud of shame hanging over my head, and I never stop acting. The spotlight's always on, and I'm center stage, and I better keep dancing, posturing, mugging, or else the spotlight will move, and I'll dissolve into a little meaningless puddle on the ground, just like the witch in The Wizard of Oz. I can never live up to the expectations of my imaginary audience, the one that lives only in my head, but whose collective voice is louder than any other voice in the universe. And all of this is especially evil because if I really stop and think about it and let things go quiet and listen patiently for the voice of a God who made me and the Savior who died for me, in his eyes, it turns out I'm actually profoundly precious, lovable, worthy, valuable, and even just a little ghetto fabulous. When I find my true identity in Christ, then you turn back into the tiny, yapping little dog that you are. So forget about it, fear of what others think. You and I are done. And no, I'm not interested in talking it through. I'm running, jumping, and laughing you out of my life once and for all, or at least that's what I really, really want. God help me to know that Jesus is all I need. Jesus is all I need to validate me. And then Paul goes on to say, not only that, but Jesus is all I need to rescue me. I don't need everything else that these false teachers are talking about, the law of Moses and, and all of that. Jesus is all I need to rescue me. You know, ancient letters usually began by the recipient identifying him or herself and then to whom it was addressed. So Paul to the churches of Galatia, you know, unlike how we start dear so-and-so and put our identify ourselves at the end of the letter, they identify themselves up front, which when you think about it makes a whole lot more sense. Paul to the churches of Galatia and then would follow, usually would follow some flowery words, some compliments to the people to whom you were writing. Well, Paul does that in all of his letters except this one. He skips over all the compliments, all the flowery stuff, because frankly, he's about to ball them out. Now, the one thing he doesn't skip over is the blessing, right? So usually there was this, you know, so-and-so to so-and-so, flowery compliments and a blessing. Well, Paul goes 
right over the flowery compliment, skips them altogether, goes straight to the blessing, which goes like this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us, to rescue us, to save us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, grace and peace were a very common greeting for Paul. You see that in many of his letters. And he's saying here that, look, just as God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, as he said in the first two verses, so also the grace and peace that Paul wishes for his listeners proceeds from God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. From Jesus, who gave himself for our sins. Now, that is key in itself, because that's the doctrine of substitution. That's the doctrine that says that we couldn't save ourselves, and so Jesus stepped in and took the penalty we deserved. He interceded for us, and, and, and his life was given to ransom us from the penalty of sin. From Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that makes Jesus the primary agent of our salvation, according to the will of God, our God and Father, that makes God the Father the author of our salvation, and it's to them that should go the glory forever and ever. So God the Father willed that Jesus the Son should give himself for our sins. Why? It says here, it was to deliver us, to rescue us, to save us from the present evil age. Now notice what we're being saved from here. It's not just being saved from our sin or being saved from eternal condemnation. It's being saved from this present evil age. This present evil age. And, and so what Paul is basically saying here is, you know, and he often teaches this, when we're born into this life, we're born in sin. We're born to a broken world under, under the control of the evil one. We're born spiritually lifeless where God is concerned. We're helpless to save ourselves until we put our faith and trust in Christ because he's the only one who can rescue us. And he, he rescues us not just from the penalty of our sin, but from this present evil age. He sets us free so that we can live a whole new life now in relationship to God right here, right now. By his death, he pays the penalty of our sin. And by giving his life in our place, he has broken sin's rule over us. By coming alive, by coming alive from the dead as he did, he's able to make us spiritually alive so that by his death and resurrection, when we place our full faith and trust in him, he rescues us from Satan's power to rule over us and gives us over to God's loving and righteous reign. There's nothing I did to earn that. There's nothing I did to, to deserve it. I can't add anything to it. I don't need something else in addition to Jesus to make all that happen. Jesus made it happen by giving himself for our sins and by being raised from the dead by God the Father. And, and he's all that I need then to rescue me from this present evil age, to rescue me and set me free from the grip of, of Satan and sin over me. We all need a rescue, don't we? And only Jesus can provide it. He's all we need to provide that rescue. I love the story told by... Uh, woman named Laura Demarest about how in 2016 she along with six other spelunkers cavers got trapped underground in an Indiana cave they had gone deep into this cave and then floodwaters had come up and shut off their exit and they were stuck in this one little compartment this air pocket way back in the cave for 39 hours 
And she talks about, you know, the, the horror of being all stuck together, those seven people in this one little chamber for, for 39 hours. But then she talks about how glorious the rescue was, how much they needed that rescue to come from the outside. And she puts it this way. In the end, a team of fellow cavers trained and trained rescue personnel came to our aid as the waters were receding. They brought us food, water, warm clothes, and smiles. One later commented that when he reached our little hovel, the smell was fantastically terrible from all of us clustered together for so long in our stinky cave gear. But he said it was the best thing he'd ever inhaled. We made the long trek out of the cave, all of us under our own power, but greatly buoyed by the rescuers who assisted us along the way. It took at least four hours of exhausted waiting, scrambling, and crawling for us all to exit. We were greeted on the surface by relieved and jubilant family and friends, bright lights, medical personnel, fried chicken, and a very inviting campfire. It was surreal. I wanted to celebrate with friends. I wanted to go home and sleep forever. Now, commenting on this story, Pastor Paul May writes this, so that we would be where Jesus is, he first came to be where we are, to rescue us. I'm certain that the world he entered literally stunk way more than the heavenly splendor he left behind. But he came to be with us and give us temporary comforts and healing to those he found. They were temporary comforts because they were meant only to point to the party awaiting us up at the surface. Friends and family, fried chicken, a warm fire, they're only the beginning of imagining what he has prepared for those who love him. Jesus entered our experience to deliver us from this present evil age. Only he could have done it. Only, only the eternal son of God, whose life was of infinite worth, could have come into this world and do the work that he did, giving his life of infinite worth on the cross to break sin's grip over us, coming alive from the dead to bring us to new life in Christ, delivering us not only from the penalty of sin, but delivering us from this present evil age so that we could live a whole new way. Jesus is all I need. Paul is showing us. Jesus is all I need to validate me. Jesus is all I need to rescue me. And thirdly and finally, Jesus is all I need to perfect me, to bring me to maturity. You know, after greeting the Galatian readers and pointing them to the blessings of salvation they already have in Christ, Paul pretty abruptly then jumps into his purpose for writing this letter. He accuses them of desertion. Not of deserting just Paul and the gospel he preaches, but of deserting Jesus himself and all that Christ has done for them. Look at verse 6 where he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so we'll, we'll get more into what this gospel is that was being preached, but note that Paul calls it a different gospel. He says, not that there really is another gospel, but they distort the gospel, and that's troubling you. And Paul is angry enough about how these false teachers have been leading the Galatians astray that he calls down strong curses on them. Look at verses 8 and 9, where it says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And this is the strongest possible kind of condemnation that Paul can call down. He's basically saying, let them be eternally condemned. Let them literally be damned. 
why? What's this other gospel that they're preaching that's so horrible? Well, it didn't dispute that one needed to trust Christ's death and resurrection to be saved. They agreed with Paul. That's good. That's necessary. Jesus died on the sin for our sins. He rose from the dead. Trust in him. They agreed with Paul. That's how one begins the Christian life. What they disagreed with was how one should live once you become a follower of Jesus, once you become a Christian. Paul taught that you live the Christian life the same way you come to the Christian life, and that's by what? Faith and faith alone. Right, he says in Colossians chapter two, for instance, therefore as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You live the Christian life the same way you started the Christian life. You live it all by faith in Jesus, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. He'll go on in Galatians 2, the next chapter from where we are today, to say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said you receive Christ by faith as your Savior, and then you live by faith in Christ as your Lord. You trust in Christ's power to save you from the guilt of sin, and you trust Christ's power to save you from the grip of sin on your life. You trust Christ's power to save you from the penalty of sin, and then you go on trusting Christ to save you from from, from, you start by trusting him to save you from the penalty of sin and you go on trusting him to save you from the power of sin over you. In Christ, you find all you need, not only for your rescue, but also all you need for your life in him, for your perfecting and your maturing in Christ. All you need is Jesus. And this is where the false teachers came along behind Paul and said, ah, not so fast, not so fast. This guy, Paul, goes around calling himself an apostle, not really an apostle, but you can't trust everything he says, whatever he calls himself, you can't trust at all because, well, we're from Jerusalem, see? We come from Judea, you know, the mothership? And we're here to tell you that Paul hasn't told you the whole truth. Yes, Jesus died for your sins and rose again, but once you trust Jesus for salvation, now you should get busy acting like a good Jew. Because Coming from a Jewish background themselves, this is how they conceived what righteousness looked like. To them, that's what it meant to be righteous. Righteous meant to be observant of the law, and they couldn't think of it any other way. And, and so you need to trust Jesus and then keep the law of Moses. Get circumcised, eat kosher, keep the Sabbath and observe all the Jewish feasts. And if you do all of that, then, then God will really be pleased with you. You need Jesus to get you started and the law of Moses to lead you to perfection before God. And this is what Paul is reacting so strongly against and saying, this is a different gospel. In fact, it's no gospel at all. There's no good news in that. That's making you a slave again to something that could never save you in the first place. That's teaching you to trust in Jesus for salvation and then to, to work real hard for the rest of it. That's saying Jesus gets you to the starting line, but the rest is up to you. And if that's what they're teaching, Paul says, let them be accursed. Anyone who teaches that, I don't care where you hear it from. If you hear it from me or from an angel from heaven, whoever teaches that is to be eternally condemned. Because that's not the gospel. Some of you may know a friend of mine, Ken Kirby, 
And Ken told me a story recently that is so to the point here, it's not even funny, but he said that a guy had come to his house to buy a piece of equipment. And, um, and when they got to talking, this guy had come from Pennsylvania or somewhere, and they got to talking and, you know, we're talking about their occupations. And Ken said that he'd been a Baptist pastor. And the guy said, oh, well, I used to be born again. And, and Ken, very wisely, said something like this. I don't know if I got it exactly, but it's something like this. Ken said, let me guess. You were told that in order to get to heaven, to have your sins forgiven, you needed to trust Jesus as your Savior, Jesus who died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. And so you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior. And the guy said, yep. Ken said, let me guess. After that, after you got saved, they said, okay, now here are the rules. This is, this is how you got, you got to live by these rules now. And you, you weren't quite up to it, were you? And they came down on you because of that. And he said, the guy actually started to tear up. And Ken said, come on in the house. Let, let, me, let me tell you about the real gospel. The gospel is that Jesus rescues me from my sin. And he is the one who brings me to maturity. As he lives his life through me, as he empowers me by his spirit to live a whole new way. I'm perfected. I'm brought to maturity as a Christian, not by now keeping the law, not by the imposition of the law from the outside, but by the impartation of the resurrection of Jesus' life, life that changes me from the inside. I like how Major Ian Thomas, one of my favorite authors, puts it. He says, men cannot achieve righteousness or produce righteousness on their own any more than a car can go or an oil lamp can shine without fuel. Try to light an oil lamp with no oil. Well, that's illogical and useless. You'll remain in the dark. Try to drive your car without gasoline. That's equally unreasonable. You'll end up getting out and pushing it, going only as far and as fast as your physical strength allows and bringing yourself to exhaustion. And that's exactly what some people do in the Christian life. It's like pushing a car with no fuel in it, and they end up defeated and exhausted and wonder what's the problem. He says the same thing is true with human beings, simply urging them to be good, telling them to draw from the depths of their personality, introducing them to behavioral science, trying to legislate their actions with rules and regulations and religion and threatening them with punishment or prison. Ultimately, none of these can succeed in producing righteousness from human beings. To get light from an oil lamp Filling it first with oil is entirely reasonable. To get a car to provide you with transportation, filling the tank with gas is completely logical, even if it costs a little bit more these days than it has. In the same way, divine logic affirms that obtaining righteousness from a man or woman happens only when that person is filled with God. Oil in the lamp, gas in the car, and Christ in the Christian. It takes God to be a man, and that is why it takes Christ to be a Christian, because Christ puts God back into man the only way that we can again become functional. The law can't perfect me. It only shows me my shortcomings. Only Jesus can make my life whole. Only because of Christ in my life can I grow in righteousness and become all that God wants me to be. So 
as we begin our journey through Paul's stern little letter to the Galatians, let's be on the lookout. Keep our ears open for his frequent encouragement that Jesus is all I need. Jesus is all I need to validate me. Jesus is all I need to rescue me. Jesus is all I need to perfect me. In a world that tries to push me down and make me think that I'm less than, Jesus validates me and says I am his and he is mine. The most important person in the universe has validated my worth by giving his life on the cross for me. In a world held in the grip and power of the evil one, I have a rescuer who by his body and blood given on the cross for me delivers me from this present evil age and makes me a citizen of heaven, enables me to live a whole new life in Christ, empowered by his spirit within me. In a world that says, look, Jesus is, is a good start, but it, not enough to become all that God wants you to be. You need this religion, you need this self-help program, you need this brand of politics, you need this set of rules, you need to become part of this group. Jesus says, no, 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 just come to me, child. Rest in me, trust in me, let me do my work in you. Abide in me like a, a branch abiding in a vine and you'll bear much fruit. In this wilderness experience we call life, there's really just one thing you need to survive and thrive. Make sure you have Jesus. He's all that you need. If you have him, you can pretty much figure everything else out. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for this strong reminder from the word of the truth, the simple truth of the gospel, that Jesus paid it all, he's done it all, he's doing it all. And it says we live in relationship with him, that he does his work through us. Lord, I pray that that you would use this study of Galatians to help us get really, really clear on the centrality of the gospel of Christ, the sufficiency of Jesus to be our deliverer from sin and our leader for life. And Lord, even as we come to the Lord's table today and, and we take these elements, the bread, representing the body of Jesus that was given for us on the cross. And as we take the cup, reminding us of the blood of Jesus that was shed to wash our sin away and to bring us into a new covenant relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us afresh of the sufficiency of our Savior Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. And so the scripture says that on the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
in the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we prepare to go from this place today remembering Jesus, remembering not just what he did in offering up his body and blood on the cross for us, but remembering who he is to us, not just what he did for us, but all that he's doing for us. How he gave his life for us in order to give his life to us that he might live his life through us. And so today, Lord, we, we celebrate the sufficiency of Christ and we go with a fresh awareness of our need to depend on him for all things. Not just depending on him for forgiveness, but depending upon him for life itself, to live this life to the full in the power of his spirit. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.